0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast episode. I'm your host, Jeff Rediger. I'm going to introduce my guest co-host here in a second. This is replacing Wall Street with Main Street. My mission is to educate each of you out there on um, what you need to be prepared for in your financial world. During your active years of employment and retirement, and I interview financial advocates, financial professionals across the country on different subjects that pertain to each of you. And the big one that uh, has come up this year, and I think maybe because of the pandemic, it may be a lot of issues going on, but uh, completing your will and trust is very important in this day and age. 80% of those that we've surveyed through our company have uh, responded with their wills either outdated or they haven't completed it at all. So with that being said today, I've invited licensed financial fiduciary, Ken Ornstein, to be my guest. And Ken, I want to thank you for joining me on this important topic.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate being here.
0: Well, before we get into... uh, completing your will and trust and uh, the key decisions that need to be made to implement those important documents. Let's give the audience a little background on you, Uh, your planning firm, your affiliations, your target audience. Um, Could you share with the with the uh,
1: those listening a little bit about your practice? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I am what's known as a licensed financial fiduciary, which means I'm held to a higher legal standard than, say, your average stockbroker or advisor. I represent a number of nonprofits that have contracts with the federal government to provide for both uh, federal as well as state employees, retirement and investment advisory services, services. I've been doing that for about half a decade, if not longer at this point. And one of the key areas, why I wanted
0: to have you on is because you and I have talked about this uh, more than once, is uh, you're in full agreement with the um, with the stat I threw out there a few minutes ago, about 80% of those we've talked to that don't have their will and trust in order. And that's a that's an area you focus um, a lot on when you're dealing with your clients and any new potential clients that come into your firm, correct?
1: I see it a lot in my individual telephone consultations with state and federal employees. Not only a lot of times they don't have a will, they haven't updated beneficiary designations. Very, very important. I mean, the average state or federal employee – started working for their respective governmental agencies, say, 20 or more years ago. They might have been single. They might have been married, but married to somebody who now is an ex-spouse. Maybe they had a brother or a sister as a beneficiary initially, and now they're no longer talking. Unfortunately, it does happen in family dynamics. They're no longer talking to that individual sibling, and they've yet to update to current benefit with the proper uh, beneficiary designations it can cause very adverse problems down the road
0: well and one of the um as we get into these questions um you know some of the feedback we get is it's just overwhelming it's complicated and confusing and and what i try to share And you agree with this. It doesn't have to be. So let's there's five uh, key decisions that need to be made when uh, implementing a basic will and trust. So uh, let me share these with you and you can shed some light on um, how to handle these questions and um, help the audience. So, number one, who will manage the money
1: when somebody dies? Okay, a very, and just to step back a second, I know these topics and all retirement investment, uh, decisions can be very complex. I pride myself on taking the complex and trying to make it more easily digestible. And the wills and the trusts are not any different. So the, the question, who will manage my money when I die? Very individualistic. Um, you know, we get into it on, you know, in an individual consultation, but in broad strokes, ideally you're going to pick a trusted family member, uh, be it a spouse, a sibling, um, you know, or some other family member. And if one's not available, ultimately it can be a trusted advisor. So
0: then let's, uh, let's elaborate on that a little more. So, uh, where, okay, so you you have uh, somebody that you've assigned. So where where does the money go in a in a trusted world? What how, how
1: does that process work? How do you okay. make that decision? Okay, so that that's very important, and the money will and the money and not just money, the assets, uh, all belongings of the I'm going to call the client. Okay, ideally they're going to go. Where the client would have wanted the money to go, whether it be brokerage accounts, cash, a watch collection, or some other piece of real estate, whatever the case may be. Now, there are two components to help facilitate that. Everybody knows the simple will. Okay? Everybody knows a, a will... Avoids probate. Not everybody knows what probate is, but it's basically getting tied up in the legal system longer than you would want to if you weren't going through probate. So a will, think of it as a wish list. I like to joke and call it, you're sending your teenage son or, or grandchild to the supermarket and your grocery list says pick up broccoli and milk. It's a teenager. They come back with ice cream and potato chips. Right. That is the problem of a will. It's nothing but a wish list. Now, I have to say, having a simple will is much better than having nothing. Okay? You have to have a will, otherwise the government will write a will for you, and nobody wants that. Uh, in conjunction with the will, we like the revocable, so you have total control over it, living trust. It's a reinforcement to the will. So the client uh, has better, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's better cho- uh, chances of having uh, the individual's wishes actually be, come through. Yeah. <laughs> it's directing
0: your wishes from the grave. Instead yes. of having the government, you said do it much it.
1: better than me. But yes, that's what I was striving for.
0: Yeah. Okay. So another question that needs to be addressed, and this is, uh, you know, who's going to take care of minor children? I'd like to throw a caveat onto that because I'm, I'm personally, my wife and I are dealing with taking care of uh, elderly parents. So those that are dependent upon you, how is that? You know, who's going to, who's going to take care of, of Those people, those family members that are dependent upon you, God forbid, something happens.
1: Ideally, the individual, the client, will have trusted family members, uh, trusted friends, persons, or people over the age of 18 that they could tap upon to help them. In lieu of that, you know, and sometimes we do have to get governmental agencies and guardianships involved, but you know. Hopefully, that would not be the case. And then,
0: who's going to make uh, medical decisions? Let's say uh, somebody's incapacitated. How's that process handled?
1: A very important document to consider when an individual is developing their their will and trust is the medical power of attorney or directive. And basically, what that document does. Let's say I'm the client and I become sick, hurt. I'm unable to communicate my wishes and, you know, talk about my medical care. You're going to be naming an individual to make medical decisions for you.
0: Okay. And then on the, on the, the same incapacitated uh, subject, if somebody's uh, physically, mentally incapacitated, what about financial decisions?
1: There's another document uh similar to the medical directive known as the financial power of attorney or directive where ahead of time, while the individual is cognizant and able to make, you know, sound decisions, they name an individual in the event of their incapacitation to handle their finances and all their financial decisions. These are all very, very important documents. Yes. That individual should have in place so let's talk about that a
0: minute so you're not an attorney
1: no you don't even play one on tv no i do work with attorneys i advise attorneys but no i am not a licensed attorney so you are a facilitator and as a fiduciary
0: and um if some of you out there don't understand that definition we've done podcasts uh Within the last couple of months, we've done a podcast specifically on what a financial fiduciary is, and kin is one. And I always recommend you need to find a fiduciary. So your role is to help facilitate the will and trust working with the state uh, planning um, attorneys. And the advantage you have is that there, there is a uh, software of will and trust documents that Um, The state planning attorneys have um, basically uh, formatted in a portal similar to TurboTax for your tax work, and uh, you help facilitate this. So the advantage Ken brings to the table is that he can help facilitate, get this done, and uh, really uh, help be the admin um, to get these legal documents that the attorneys put together in force. Is that correct?
1: that That is correct in the respective state, because I do this on a national basis right. in the respective state in in which the the governmental employee resides i mean i've worked yes. I've done this in a number of different ways. I mean, when I started doing this, I would just find a local attorney uh, and you know forward the client to them, and then I find either it doesn't get done, and that's terrible. Or I found such a vast array of different price points, all way more expensive than the client could have had it done uh, using a different avenue. So that didn't work. And then I started using, I'm not going to name names, but I used another software where it was glitchy. I couldn't really lend a lot of help or assistance. And I didn't get good feedback. Now, the newest software package that we're utilizing legacy lock i could actually be instrumental in getting this done you know these documents done for a client at a fair price point
0: and nine times out of ten it's going to be less if it's the basic will and trust and what they would uh, be charged less as a family members and attorney if they go find an uh, attorney on their own oh yeah definitely um, lots yeah so what we're doing is we're helping solve problems Take something that's perceived to be complicated and confusing, simplifying it, and put you in touch with a financial fiduciary that is, uh, you know, ethically is going is to help make sure this is done in your best interest. That's what a fiduciary is. So uh, great information, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time today to uh, share that with our audience.
1: Oh, excellent. Thank you.
0: So if somebody uh, somebody in and they say, you know what, I'd like to talk to Ken, uh, it's, there's no cost to have a
1: consultation with you. How do they get a hold of you? Um, you could call me on my national toll-free number and leave a detailed message because I'm usually in telephone consultations. And okay. that number is 1-888-315-3608. Again, 1-888-315-3608. Okay,
0: and then if you would like a complimentary booklet on understanding the importance of a basic will and trust, it's a it's a great twenty six page uh, booklet, and it explains as to why if you have an asset, you should consider uh, completing a will and trust package with somebody like Ken and the estate planning firms behind him. Uh, you can give us a call at eight 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 five, four, five, eight, eight, four, zero. Let us know that you attended this podcast. We'll get you in touch with Ken and we'll get that booklet out. So uh, that's also something we're offering. All right. So um, Ken and I are going to focus a series on helping uh, the government employees, they prepare for retirement. And so you're going to want to Uh, Look for the next episode to drop. And uh, what is the next episode? Uh, We talked about uh, a checklist for pre-retirement for government employees, correct?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And so um, you go through, what is it, three years? What I like to do when I do this in my initial telephone consultation with a governmental employee, the three years before retirement and the three years after, are the most crucial as far as decision-making. And I go into much greater detail on a consultation. But I think for our next uh, podcast, what we ought to do, what I think would be very beneficial, why don't we look at uh, everything a, a governmental employee should be thinking about once they're three years or less. Because I have people calling me up that they're retiring in about two months. You know, yeah. they think they have plenty of time. I mean, I have a spoiler yeah. alert, they really don't. But anyway, yeah. why don't we do a podcast, everything a governmental employee should be thinking about once they're three years or less from full separation from service, which is just a fancy way of saying retirement.
0: That sounds like a great topic. And we will go through a checklist. So government employees out there, look for the next uh, episode to drop. Ken and I will be discussing uh, what you need to prepare for three years prior to retirement. Mm. That's what Ken or does. Or less. So, or less. Or less. So that's what, uh, that's what Ken does, and we're here to help each of you. So, um, All right. Well, very informative. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. All right. This concludes our session today. Look for upcoming sessions. Uh, we're out on 14 different networks, and uh, we're here to help each of you. Uh, Be educated so that you make good decisions prior and during your retirement years. Thank you very much.